0: Miss Milahir Rahman Rahim, Alhamdulilla, Hirobil Alamin, Osolla, who was Sella Mawabara Kala Nabina, Mohammed, or Allah Ali, he was Sahi Ajmain, or Bishrahli Sodri, or Yesirli Emri, Wahlu Roko de Temilisani of Kahu Koli, Allahumma allimna Mayan Fauna, when Fana Bima Alamtana was Zidna Ilma. Last week we left off at the point where Halima al from the tribe of Bani Saad. She came into Makkah looking for a child that she could take with her into the desert and feed that child from her milk and take care of that child and let that child grow up in the desert. And she went to Makkah and she took Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the mother of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Amina, agreed to give her child under the care of Halima As-Saudiya. Now Halima as sadiya and her husband Al-Harith, they started noticing the Barakah, the blessings that came into their life after taking this child immediately. The donkey, that they used to come into Makkah. It was an old and weak and very slow donkey. So slow that Halima came into Makkah after the rest of the people had already came into Makkah. She was late in coming to Makkah because her transportation, this donkey, was so slow. So she was late even in coming into Makkah to find a child. So when she left Makkah and she had Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa with her now, the same donkey, now it's the fastest donkey. And it's getting ahead of all of the other donkeys from the other women of the tribe. Such to the extent that they ask Halima, Halima, is this the same donkey that you came in Makkah with? Is it, the same, is it the same donkey? Because at that time it was so slow and it was lagging behind all of us and now it's getting ahead of all of our donkeys. Is it the same donkey? And she said, yes, it's the same donkey. And then they said, this is something amazing. This is something that is astonishing. Also, as we mentioned last week, Halima, عنها, she was very poor. Actually, the whole tribe of Bani saad they were all poor. And she was from the poorest of them. So poor that she didn't even have enough food for her own self and for her own family so she didn't have enough nutrition in her body to produce milk for her own son even she had her own biological son who was around the same age as Muhammad and she didn't even have enough milk for her own son because she wasn't nourished enough she didn't have enough food to nourish her body to produce that milk but once she came back to the desert with muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then she was producing enough milk to fill her own son and muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to fill them so that they weren't even hungry at all these were some of the signs of the barakah that came into the life of Halima and her family immediately after bringing the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca into the desert. Also, Halima had a camel, a she-camel, and it was very old. And it, its udders had dried up. It wasn't producing any milk anymore because it was so old. But once she came back, with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then suddenly this old she camel it filled up with milk and it started producing milk again and the people were surprised like, what is happening here all of these things are happening this is something that is not normal another sign of the barakah that came into their lives after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa came with them is that these people of Bani Sa'at, the families who lived there, including Halima's family, they used to earn money by grazing with livestock. They had livestock and they used to use that as their source of income. So they had sheep and they had other, had other types of livestock. And they would have shepherds who would take their sheep out to graze. But in the middle of the desert, You're not going to find many grazing grounds that can adequately nourish these sheep. You'll find some places here and there, but it really won't be enough to make the sheep very fat. So all of these sheep from the families of Bani Saad, they were all very thin. And that included Halima's sheep as well. But once Muhammad came and was staying with them, Then these shepherds, they would take out the sheep of the different families there of Bani Saad. And Halima's sheep, they started getting very fat. But the sheep of the other families, they still remained very thin. Such to the extent that people noticed this. And they started getting mad at the shepherds. And they would tell the shepherds, take our sheep to graze in the same land where Halima's sheep are grazing. You're not doing your job. Her shepherds are taking her sheep to a place where they're getting good food and they're becoming fat. But you guys are taking our sheep. I don't know where you're taking them. You're taking them someplace, but they're not getting fat. Take them to the same place where Halima's shepherds are taking her sheep. And they told the people, Wallahi, we are taking our sheep to the same place. We are taking our sheep to the same place. But her sheep are getting fat and ours are not. We don't understand the reasoning behind this so these were just some of the glimpses of the barakah that came into the life of Halima and her husband Al Harith after they brought this blessed boy Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam to live with them and these are the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave because of the beautiful presence of his greatest creation the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam so he stayed with Halima for a period of two years And this is the milking period. This is the period where the mothers, they feed milk to the children for a period of two years. So he stayed with her for a period of two years. And in these two years, he grew to be a beautiful young boy, physically strong, and very, very eloquent in his ability to speak as a two-year-old boy. And there are some kids, mashallah, who learn how to speak very early. And the prophet muhammad was one of those boys at the age of two he was speaking that pure fusha arabic eloquently and clearly and purely so it was very easy for him to speak and it was very easy for people to understand him from such a young age and the tribe of bani saad they were well known they were very well known as being very very eloquent in their speech. Their Arabic was the best of the Arabs. So the Prophet ﷺ, he grew up and he was raised in this type of an environment. So he grew up, he was physically strong, and he was able to speak eloquently and beautifully at the age of two years old. And throughout his life, the Prophet ﷺ was known for the eloquence of his speech. There is no speech after the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is more eloquent and more beautiful than the speech of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And anyone who reads the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, reads the sayings of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. it's very clear. It's very clear that his Arabic after the Quran, it is the best Arabic that you can find. Such to the extent that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said to the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, Ya Rasulullah, ma I have never heard anyone who has a more eloquent way of speaking than you. And the Prophet ﷺ replied, Kaifala wa ana min Quraysh wa bani He said, How can it not be? Of course, I am the most eloquent of the Arabs because I am from the Quraysh and I was brought up with. Banu Sa'd. So they were known for the eloquence of their language and the Prophet ﷺ grew up in this type of an environment. And this is all from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did all of this for a reason so that the Prophet ﷺ had the best possible upbringing from his birth all the way throughout his life. And this was from the wisdom and the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after this period of two years was over, what the, the women of Bani Sa'ad, who had these children that they would take from Mecca, after two years, they would go back to Mecca to return the children to their parents because the milk period is over after two years. So they would go back to Mecca and they would return these children to the parents. And usually the parents would give these mothers uh, some type of a gift as a token of their appreciation for taking care of their children for this period of time. So after the two years, the women from Bani sa they were going back into Makkah to return those children to the parents. And Halima, she went with them to Makkah as well. But her intention was not to return Rasulullah wasallam. Her intention in going to Makkah was not to return Rasulullah wasallam to Amina. Because she saw the blessings that came to her family in those two years because this boy was with them and she wanted to retain those blessings for as long as she possibly could so she went to Mecca with the rest of those mothers but her intention was to try her best to convince Amina the mother of Rasulullah to allow her to keep Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for a longer time. So she went to Amina and she said, let me keep this boy for a longer period of time. And then Amina said, he is my son. I want to keep him close to me. And then Halima said to Amina, you know, he is like my son too. You know, I gave him from my milk and I took care of him for these two years. Let me keep him for a little longer. You know how Makkah is, the Hujjaj are coming in. They come with all sorts of illnesses, all sorts of diseases. You know, if I keep him a little bit longer, then he can remain safe from these things. Let me just keep him for a longer period of time. So with the insistence of Halima, Amina agreed to allow her son Muhammad Sallam, to go back with Halima into the desert. And of course, Halima and her family were very happy about this. So, Rasulullah, ﷺ, this two year old boy, he goes back with his foster mother Halima into the desert and he stays among the tribe of Bani sa A few months later, just a few months after this conversation between Halima and Amina, a very amazing incident happened in the desert with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. so Halima and her husband Al-Harith they were sitting one day in their tent and you can just try to picture the type of life that they used to live it was in the middle of the desert they had their tents where they used to stay so Halima and her husband Al-Harith are sitting together in their tent the children are outside playing and as we mentioned Halima عنها, she had a son a biological son who was around the same age as Rasulullah and she actually fed these two children together. So while Halima and her husband were sitting in the tent one day, Halima's son, her biological son, he comes running and screaming and panicked, running towards the tent. So Halima and her husband Al-Harith, the parents of this boy, they run out of the tent to see what has happened to their child. And the child He's screaming and he's panicked. And he has that look of being terrified in his face. So Halima asks her son, What happened, my son, what happened? And then he says, Akhi Muhammad, Akhi Muhammad, My brother Muhammad, my brother Muhammad. And they ask him, What happened to your brother Muhammad? What happened to him? Tell us. And he says, That two men with white clothes, They came to him. And they threw him onto the ground, and they ripped open his chest. So Halima, she heard this, and she became very scared. So she runs to where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, where Muhammad sallallahu wasallam was. She runs over there as fast as she can, and she sees Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's fine, but he has a very very scared look on his face that something terrifying just happened so she runs up to him and she hugs him she holds him close to her and she asks him what happened what happened and muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam this two year old boy who is very clear in his speech he explains to her what happened he said two men with white clothes they came and they threw me down onto the ground and they ripped open my chest. They ripped open my chest. And later on, many years later, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would narrate this incident to his companions. Years later, he narrated this, this incident to his companions. And of course, by that time, he was a prophet of Allah, receiving revelation from Allah. So he knew that those two men who he thought were men who came down, they were actually two angels. So he explained that two angels came down. He's explaining this many years later to his companions. Two angels came down and they threw me onto the ground and they split open my chest and they took out my heart and they washed my heart in a gold vessel with zamzam water and then they removed a small black piece and threw it and they said, "This is the shaitan's share of you." So now that they threw it, the shaitan has no share in the Prophet sallallahu Then they put my heart back into my chest, and then they stitched up my chest. And the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when they would see his chest, they could see those stitches still there. They could see the effects of those stitches still in his chest, and this was from the signs that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was truly a messenger of Allah. So this was the terrifying incident that happened to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam just a few months after Halima insisted that Amina allow her to take Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam back to stay with her in the desert. So after this incident happened. And after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa explained to Halima what happened to him. Halima and her husband, they became very worried. They were afraid. What, what happened to this boy? What, what is the meaning of this? And they feared that maybe this was the work of the jinns. That the jinns had come. And they feared that he would be harmed by the jinns. And they didn't want to take any responsibility for him possibly being harmed in this way. They were not his actual parents and they feared that his mother would blame them if any harm came to him so they went back to makkah again with muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam to return him to his mother so when they went back into makkah this was just a few months later after this initial conversation of halima asking amina to allow her to bring him back so a few months later they go back into makkah again and they're saying, we want to give your son back to you. So now Amina is confused. She's saying, just a few months ago, you came and I wanted to take him back. But you insisted that you wanted him with you. And now just a few months later, you're telling me to take him back? What happened? Did something happen to my son? Did something happen to my son that you want me to take him back now? And they said, no, no, nothing happened. we just, you know... We just don't want him to get sick and you know we want to return him to you in a state where he's healthy and then she said no there is something there is no way that you could have taken a 180 degree turn like that in just a few months something happened to my son and I need you to tell me what happened so finally they explained to the mother of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about the incident of the splitting of his chest so the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi Amina, she looks at her little boy and she sees actually, yes, he has this scar on his chest. Something really did happen. Then she said to Halima and her husband, you are afraid of the jinns affecting this boy? You are afraid that this boy can be harmed by the jinns? Wallahi, there is nothing for you to fear in this regard. He will never be affected by the shayateen or the jinns. You know, when... I was giving birth to him. Just before I gave birth to him, I had a dream that with him coming out, there was a light that illuminated the whole earth. And I saw myself in this dream saying, I seek refuge in Allah, the one for this boy from every, from the evil of every jealous person don't worry the shaitan, no jinn is going to hurt this boy but amina she took her son back and from that point the young boy muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam stayed with his birth mother so now he is back with his mother and halima and her husband they return back to their lives in the desert with the tribe of bani sa'd now Rasulullah sallallahu is living with Aminah, his mother. And he is an orphan. He doesn't have a father. His father had already passed away even before he was born. And he lived a life of poverty from his childhood. Amina, the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu she was very poor. And... Rasulullah living with his mother, he lived a life of poverty. And some people may wonder, they may ask, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi He was from the most honorable and respected family of the Arabs. He was the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. And Abdul Muttalib was the undisputed leader of the Quraysh, the most respected man of Mecca. The most honored man of Makkah and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is directly from his family he is his own grandson so why did he live such a life of poverty when he was from such a great and honorable and respected family we need to look at what the Arabs considered to be honor what was honor to them honor was the privilege to serve the hujjaj, it was not money money was not what what made them considered to be honorable or respected people, it was this honor of serving the pilgrims the guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those people who would come and make hajj so Abdul Muttalib and his family, even though they were the leaders of the Quraysh they were not rich they were not wealthy at all Because they would spend all of their money in service to the Hujjaj. So yes, Abdul Muttalib and his sons, they had businesses, they earned money, definitely. But all of that money, it would go in service of the Hujjaj. Service to the pilgrims. And we mentioned before that Abdul Muttalib was responsible for providing drink and other services to The Hujjaj. And the Hujjaj, they would come from all over the place. And there were many Hujjaj. So even though Abdul Muttalib and his family were earning money, they had their businesses, and they had their source of income, all of it was going into taking care of the Hujjaj. All of it was going into service of the Hujjaj. Such to the extent that they would spend all of their money in service of the Hujjaj, then they would go and borrow more money to take care of the Hujjaj because their income was not enough for everyone so they would actually borrow money and go into debt to serve the hujjaj this was the honor for them so it was not about wealth it was not about money it was about this privilege to serve the hujjaj so that's why Abdul al-muttalib he was not rich his sons they were not rich they were poor and that's why even though rasulullah sallallahu alaihi he was born into the most honorable and respected household of Makkah. He grew up poor. He grew up poor for this reason. So he lived with his mother in this state, in a state of poverty until his mother also passed away. And that was when Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi was six years old. And then he moved into the custody of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib after his mother passed away after amina passed away rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam went to live with his grandfather abdul Muttalib. and he was six years old at that time now abdul Muttalib he loved this boy since his birth and he said at the time that this boy was born and we mentioned last week some of the miraculous events that took place when rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was born and abdul mutalib he said about his grandson he said وَاللَّهِ إِنَّ هَذَا sha'na. Surely, this boy of mine is something special. And there is something special for him in the future. So, Abdul Muttalib had this love for his grandson, Muhammad ﷺ, from his birth. So now, at the age of six, he came to live with his grandfather. And Abdul Muttalib at this time had nine sons of his own. He had 10 sons, as we mentioned before, but one of those sons, that's the father of Rasulullah, Abdullah, he had passed away. So he had nine remaining sons, and now he had his grandson, Muhammad, as well. Now, as we mentioned, Abdul Muttalib was the most respected man of Makkah, the leader of Makkah, the head of Quraysh so he was honored and respected by all of the people and he was shown respect the utmost respect even by his own children his own sons so Abdul Muttalib he had a special mattress that his sons would keep in front of the Kaaba for Abdul Muttalib to sit on this mattress and when he received any type of delegations or when some other tribal leaders needed to come and discuss something with him or negotiate something with him they would come and they would meet him on that mattress but the sons of Abdul Muttalib out of respect for their father they would not sit on that mattress rather they would just stand around that mattress and they would not even sit down until their father would come and when their father would sit down on that mattress then the sons of Abdul Muttalib would sit down around the mattress they would not sit on the mattress so they would remain standing until their father came when their father came and sat down on the mattress the sons, the nine sons they would sit around the mattress this was the respect that they showed for their father Abdul Muttalib but Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this young boy he would slip between his uncles, the sons of Abdul Muttalib, and he would go and sit on that mattress. And his uncles, the sons of Abdul Muttalib, they would try to take him out. They would say, no, no, you can't sit there. This is for Abdul Muttalib. We can't sit here. And they would try to take Muhammad and bring him back. But Abdul Muttalib himself would stop them from touching him. And he would say to his sons, leave this boy, leave him, let him sit there. Wallahi inna li ibni hada Let him sit here. Surely this boy of mine he has something amazing in his future. So this was the love that he showed for Rasulullah, his grandson, even more than he showed for his own children. And there is some hikmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this as well. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam from the age of six to eight, this age. It's an age where children pick up everything. And it's an age where they are able to learn. And what they learn at this age, it stays with them throughout their life. And we know that even from people who memorize the Qur'an, for example. Those people who learn it at this age, around six to eight, usually their memory of the Qur'an is much stronger than people who memorize the Qur'an later in their life. Things that you remember, and things that you witness, and things that you see, and things that you learn at this period in time, from around age 6 to 8, it sticks with you, strongly. So, Muhammad wasallam, at this age, where he's grasping everything, he was sitting with the leader of the Quraysh on his mattress, sitting with him, with his grandfather. While his grandfather was receiving this VIP and this tribal chief and this leader and they were sitting with him discussing, negotiating, talking about important things and Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this little boy, he's witnessing all of this and he's taking it all in. So he's learning about leadership. He is learning the skills of how to speak to people from such a young age and this is from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well everything from the life of rasulullah sallallahu from his birth up to his passing away everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed in his life was from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this period of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam staying with his grandfather abdul Muttalib, it lasted for 2 years and then when Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi was 8 years old Abdul Muttalib also passed away. So look at this, look how many people Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi stayed with since his birth. So his father died before he was even born. Then his mother gave birth to him, then he stayed with Halima for 2 years. Then he stayed with his mother Amina for a few more years. Then he stayed with his grandfather Abdul Muttalib now his father now his grandfather Abdul Muttalib has also passed away now he is going to stay with his uncle abu talib this is the life of a yatim. this is the life of an orphan and the prophet sallallahu wasallam had a hard life from from his birth he had difficulties in his life from his birth he grew up as an orphan and he grew up poor and again there is hikmah from allah in this as well why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make His most beloved creation grow up as an orphan? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make His most beloved creation grow up in a life of poverty from such a young age? So that He could experience it and know what it feels like. And when He meets people later on in His life who are in those same type of situations, He will know exactly how they feel. The Prophet ﷺ, he was the kindest man to orphans. He was so gentle with them. The Prophet ﷺ used to keep company with the masakeen and the fuqara, the poor people. That was his company because he knew what type of difficulties they faced in their lives because he faced these exact same difficulties himself. He knew exactly what they were going through. So when he spoke to them, when he associated with them, he did it from a place of exactly knowing what they were going through. So it was of course more effective. And this is from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in decreeing this for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Everything in his life had a reason. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed only the best things for him. That would be the best for him and would be the best for his effect on his ummah as well. Bi abi wa ummi. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So after Abdul Muttalib passed away, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was now still a young boy, eight years old. Now he went into the custody of his paternal uncle, Abu Talib ibn Abdul Muttalib. And inshaAllah next week we will talk about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his time period that he spent with Abu Talib. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.